If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 142 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about those Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the fifth day of June in the year 2022. My God, what a day it has been for me today. So far on this beautiful Sunday, my God, the weather is gorgeous. I have my window open behind my computer as I record, and what a day it's been, guys. My God, I just got done watching today's Yankee game, early-ass game at 11.30 a.m. streaming on Peacock, yet another stupid streaming game. You guys know how much it drives me nuts, especially when it alienates baseball's biggest fans. Can't stand it, (laughs) but... I was able to access it, thank God, watch the game, and I figured since it was on so freaking early that I would just wait to record until after it's done. On last week's episode, I was like, oh, you guys might hear me reacting to it as I record because it's on early in the day, and I typically like to record early in the day, but I just figured I'd wait until the game finished to start up here. So it literally just finished like five minutes ago. Donaldson just walked it off on the sack fly, and here I am recording episode 142 now. With the Rangers about to start, and I'm going nuts about that. It's tough to really focus today and find time to record and really just focus in on this because there's a lot going on. Yankee game today was crazy, especially the back end of the game. Montgomery had another terrific start as the rotation remains in God mode. God mode. (laughs) We're going to talk all about the rotation and give them all the credit they deserve as if I haven't given them enough, which I have, but we're going to continue to do that because week in and week out, just when you think they can't get even better, well, guess what? They get even better. (laughs) It's ridiculous. This rotation is cracked, man. They are cracked. We got to talk all about it, and most of the episode is going to be talking all about them. Hence why the episode is called God Mode, because that is what they are in, day in and day out. <laughs> but, yeah, what a crazy day. Watching watching the Yankees from 11.30 until about, it was 3 o'clock when the walk-off happened, give or take, and it's like 3.10 right now at the time I'm taping. You guys are going to be getting this way later tonight, probably in like the 10 o'clock hour as usual, so... And now the Rangers are starting. I have them on TV right next to me. Yes, I am a hockey fan, a big one at that. It's my second favorite sport behind baseball. So you best believe that with everything going on with the Rangers right now, I have the damn game on right next to me. Because I got to see what happens in game three. (laughs) Going nuts over here watching the Rangers against the Lightning. But this is a Yankees podcast, Mike. Get back to it. And yes, I will. But yeah, guys. To no one's surprise, like I said before, another week and another episode of Yapping Yankees here today comes and goes with the Yankees, especially, like I said before, the starting rotation being in God mode. The offense has surged back. 
still being led by the baseball love of our lives, Aaron James Judge, who I am convinced is trying to hit 50,000 home runs this year. (laughs) And, oh my god, just every facet of the team is just working out. Of course, the offense comes out here and there and has their occasional struggles. Every team has it happen. It's nothing out of the ordinary. But... They have plenty of days like today, with the help of a little sloppy Tigers defense, but they have their days like today, even when it's looking like they're mostly dead, where they find a way to pull it out, and they never give in, ever. Like I've said for so many weeks now, in recent years past, it's always been the Yankees finding new ways to lose. This year, and I've said this so many times and I cannot say it enough, they always find new ways to win. It never stops with them. They always try to find new methods and new avenues in which to get a win, no matter what it is. Even if it's taking advantage of crappy defense from the other team, like they partially did today against the Tigers, or if it's running the bases like they have so much more this year, or even if it's putting a bunt down or just trying to get the bat on the ball, get it in the air, get it on the ground, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. You can name as many methods as you want to try to just win the game any way you can, and the Yankees have either already done so, or they will do so at some point, because they never seem to run out of ways to win. (laughs) And today was an example of that, because what a freaking job. I figured since it just happened today, I might as well get it out of the way, and I won't have to recap it later on either in Weekly Recap, but today's game, I mean... Just Montgomery, again, keeping the rotation in God mode with a great, great start. Six and a third, only allowing two runs, and quite frankly, one of the runs came home on a play at second base on a ground ball that deflected off the mound that Glaber probably could have made the play on and probably should have, to be honest, but he didn't. So that was the second run that came home. The first run that came home off him was just a rocket RBI double into the left center field gap off Javi Baez. But other than that, he did a fine job. Six and a third, those two runs, five strikeouts, and Monty's ERA is 302. And 302 is an awesome ERA. And you want to know something? 302, that ERA is a major supporting fact as to what I've been saying about the starting rotation. Because guess what? That 302 ERA is the highest ERA in the rotation. Yeah, you heard me right. <laughs> it was 304, Montgomery's ERA heading into today's game. He lowered it a couple of points down to 302, and that is your highest rotation ERA. Nestor Cortez has a 150 ERA. Garrett Cole, 278. Luis Severino, 295. And Jameson Tyone, heavily underrated, might I add, before I give this ERA to you, with the 6-1 and one record which you know I normally don't care about because I think the win-loss record can just really not tell nearly any of the story of a starting pitcher for obvious reasons. His ERA is 230. The second best in the rotation. This rotation, like I said before, in my opinion, and this will also answer my thoughts as to our social media question later today, hint, hint, in my opinion, is the most dominant rotation, one through five, this deep into the season as we are a handful of weeks away from the halfway point of the season, and it's still going on with this starting rotation. 
one through five is the most dominant rotation for the Yankees I have seen in my time as a Yankee fan. And that's give or take about 15 years. Became a fan towards the end of 2007, as many of you know. This has gotten to a point where it's just truly hard to believe what you're watching. Especially this past week, and we'll hit on this again when we recap. Garrett Cole and Jameson Tyone, Tyone being first the night before, they were both taking perfect games into the later part of the game. Tyone took it into the 8th, and Cole into the 7th. Back-to-back, flirting with a perfect game. And it was really starting to look like it was going to happen with Tyone, man. He, he was on a mission, that man. And even just yesterday, with Luis Severino, on Saturday, against the Tigers, the Tigers were one hit yesterday. And the one hit was given up by Severino in the second inning to Miguel Cabrera on a line drive to shortstop, but only it was a play that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa definitely should have made. And it was even off his glove. It should have been caught. I don't know how or why the official scorers ruled it a hit, but one could very well argue that that was an error. And so if you take that into account, you could very well say that even Luis Severino was taking a no-hitter through his seven-inning start yesterday on top of what Tyone and Cole did earlier in the week. All right, this is crazy what's going on with this rotation. I can't say enough about him. It's so great to finally see after all the painful years we endured of just terrible pitching, always saying year in and year out, minute by minute, every time someone spoke about the Yankees, what was the thing that people would mostly always say? This team needs pitching. Well, guess what? Now they don't. If they do need it anywhere, it's probably for the bullpen. But this rotation is fine. (laughs) And that is being very mild about it because they're quite legendary, what they've done about two months in here. This isn't a stretch of a couple of weeks. We're a couple of months in and a handful of weeks away from being at the halfway point of the season. And the highest ERA in the rotation just gets lower and lower each week I reported to you. This week, it's 302. Going into the off day tomorrow. Ridiculous. But the whole team overall aside, like I said, despite last week's little skid and even the week before that when everyone was starting to get hurt, the Yankees have had guys come back. They seem to have gotten right back on the horse today, completing their second consecutive sweep after also sweeping the Angels during the week. And they just seem to be doing even better than before now. Riding a six-game winning streak yet again. Here they here they go again. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This team is crazy. And right now, as where it stands too, even though the division is still a very comfortable cushion for the Yankees, the Blue Jays and Rays happen to be losing right now as well at the time I'm recording. It's now about 320. And the Blue Jays right now, they're facing the Twins. Let me find this score. They're losing 5-2 to two in the bottom of the fifth. And the Rays are losing 6-0 to the White Sox on the top of the fifth. So that's looking pretty good for the White Sox. 
And it looks like the Rays are, the Rays seem to have more of a likelihood to lose today than the Blue Jays. But either way, you know, even though it's still fairly early, just a couple of months in here, fairly early, not way early, but fairly early. And the divisions, you know, things could be decided in the last month for all you know. That's happened plenty of times. But uh, you take all that you could get no matter when you could get it. And if you could gain a game over both those teams, and <laughs> I'm not going to turn that away. So that's really good. And the Yankees after today's win, 39-15. and Again, Montgomery start today, 6-3, two runs allowed, and really nothing was happening um, until the fourth inning when the Tigers took their 2 to nothing lead off Montgomery at first, but then he shaped right back up after that. In the bottom of the fifth, I mean, who the hell saw this coming? I mean, it's about time. I'm the last one who wants to be hard on any Yankee, and you guys know I've been very hard on Gallo, and I think I have a right to be. Because it just has not worked out here in New York. You could talk about how it worked out in Texas, and he was a better player there, and I'd agree with you. Statistically, it's a fact. But here, it just has not worked out. And coming into today, I mean, he had five home runs and seven RBIs. Batting average in the low 170s, heading back to the 160s. Even his OPS and OPS+, plus, WRC+, plus, all of it, slugging, on base, not walking anymore, no, not hitting any home runs except for that little amount of time again when he got hot there. All stats just, they're awful. You can't spin it in a good way. But you know what, today, and I'm not going to shy away from this either, definitely won't reject this, I'll take whatever I can get from anybody, especially someone who is miserably struggling, and I must admit, officially ran out of patience with in Game 2 of the doubleheader when he struck out with the bases loaded and one out, but Gallo came through here today. Game-tying two-run shot in the bottom of the fifth to tie the game at two with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa on base. Bottom of the seventh, the Yankees took a 3-2 lead on a DJ bases loaded walk. Top of the eighth, when Miguel Castro came in after Clark Schmidt got the first out of the inning after also pitching the remainder of the seventh inning. It was not fun. Miguel Cabrera... Got a base hit RBI single up the middle on a pitch that really wasn't even bad at all by Miguel Castro. It was a hard sinker in, and Cabrera just somehow got his hands in and just shot it up the middle. And then Javi Baez gave the Tigers a lead on an RBI single, 4-3, to three on a diving play that probably should have been made by Anthony Rizzo, but nonetheless, it made its way into right field. That gave him a 4-3 to three lead, bottom of the 8th. Labor Torres, after some brilliant base running by Anthony Rizzo, tried to steal second. The ball was dropped at second base by Jonathan Scope, trying to nail Anthony Rizzo, stealing second. Throw got away. Anthony Rizzo continued on to third base, and then Glaber hit a slow ground ball to third, and not the best throw home trying to get Rizzo, and Rizzo came home to score to tie the game 4-4. Four to four. Top of the 10th, Michael King came in to strand that fake-ass runner out at second base by striking out the side. Great job by King, who had been struggling before like we'd been talking about the last couple of weeks, but came in and got the job done this time. Bottom of the 10th, Aaron Judge on second base as the fake runner. Rizzo hit a slow ground ball up the middle to advance Judge to third and get himself to first. And then Josh Donaldson hit a sack fly to the warning track. And the game was over 5-4. to four. So like I said, really good back-and-forth action, especially in the second half of the game, the back end of the game for the Yankees and Tigers today. I'm talking about today's game now and not in recap later because I'm just coming off it now. I'm still hyped over it, so <laughs> just figured I'd get it out of the way now. We'll recap last Sunday. 
all the way up to yesterday in recap later, but today's game, awesome job. Like I said, second consecutive sweep, sixth win in a row. Also looking to gain a game on both Tampa and Toronto if the scores hold up right now. At the time I'm recording, at least, because by the time you're listening to this, you will already know that answer. But what an awesome game today. Awesome end to what was a fun series against the Tigers. Just smacked them around, especially in the first game. <laughs> Yesterday was only 3 nothing, but I mean, it's still a win. But especially the first game, it was a sweep. They smacked them around. So, very good weekend. But what a great week, guys. Just the Yankees getting back on the horse and just getting it done again. Just winning, winning, winning winning. And on top of that, they also got some crucial names back from injury, especially John Carlos Stanton finally returning again yesterday. Turns out to have been a quick IL stint, thank God, just as I was hoping. They also reinstated LeCastro, but optioned him to AAA. And they also optioned Miguel Andujar back to AAA upon bringing Stanton back, and there's a lot of news surrounding that because, and apparently this isn't the first time this has happened, but Upon being optioned again, Miguel Andujar told the Yankees that he would like to be traded because he just is tired of the lack of consistent playing opportunities with the Yankees. And listen, I don't blame him. He came up here and he did a nice job with hitting and he played a very sound left field. So it it was really good to finally see him play some decent defense because before we all know Andujar as not only the guy who couldn't really stay healthy anymore, but the guy who really had no position. But he played a very sound left field. It was nice to see. He was very, very easy going out there. He did a nice job. Didn't do a fantastic job hitting, but he was putting the bat on the ball. He was doing a fine job. It was fine. Um, I, I especially feel bad for him because I, I think there are people on this team who don't deserve certain opportunities. And someone like Andujar, who has really worked his way back after losing his job to Gio Urshela because he couldn't stay healthy... And just really hasn't found consistent playing time because when he did come up, he still didn't have a position or he would get hurt again. So he hasn't gotten consistent opportunities. And some of that's his own fault because of injuries or lack of good gameplay. I mean, it depends. It depends on when he was to come back up and what he did at that certain point in time. Because he has been up and down throughout the last couple of years. But it's I, I do feel for him. I do. He's been working real hard in this latest stint in the major leagues when the Yankees needed him, when they were losing a lot of guys. Donaldson went out, went down for a while. Stanton went down. LeCastro was out. And not that he was the replacement for all these guys, but I'm just saying he came up in a time where a lot of injuries happened. Even DJ missed some time. Hicks missed a couple of days with some hamstring tightness. Even Gallo and Higgy were gone for a little bit because they were on the COVID IL just as a precaution. So the Yankees did hit a little skid upon missing some guys, and Miguel Andujar came up, and he did a fine job. He didn't do an unbelievable job, but he did a fine job. He really did well, and it was fun seeing him back and actually playing a good left field, seeing him play some defense, and getting some things done with the bat as well. Getting some rallies started, putting the bat on the ball, it was good to see. Because Andujar is a good hitter. He always has been a fine hitter. His main problems have been his inability to stay healthy and the fact that he doesn't have a true position. So, especially when you factor in how certain guys like Aaron Hicks and 99% of the time, except for today, and I'll give him credit for today, but Joey Gallo, when they're getting constant opportunities, when they're doing what they're doing, providing honestly nothing, 
And I know people argue stats and say, oh my God, it's funny how people actually think Miguel Andujar, when he's doing this and this and that, will give more than Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks. Well, I'll guarantee you that he'll, he'd will he probably provide more than one of them. I'd probably more safely say Aaron Hicks right now, because not only is Aaron Hicks producing absolutely nothing, especially in moments that are really crucial with the bat, but his defense, as we know, has also taken a hit, like we've spoken about a lot. So even though Andujar isn't the most trustworthy candidate with defense, you know he's going to put the bat on the ball more than Aaron Hicks does. And honestly, I'm confident in saying that, no matter what stats you throw at me. And I'm, I'm for stats. I will give stats and all other factors of the game. I balance everything. I balance old school and new school. Those who have followed me or listened to me for a long time now know that to be true. But I just really feel like, especially with the bat, that I'd rather Andujar up there right now than Aaron Hicks. And definitely Joey Gallo as well, even though Gallo every once in a blue moon will come through with a home run like he did today. And the home run today was important, and it tied the game, and it was two of the five runs the Yankees ultimately ended up scoring. So, it'll happen every once in a blue moon, even though, like I said before, when you see, and I even tweeted this, when you see the guy come to the plate, unfortunately what you feel about 99% of the time is complete dread. Almost like no other Yankee hitter you've ever felt that with before. So... When it comes to Miguel Andujar not getting opportunities despite the hard work he's been doing and the positive attributes we saw in this latest stint up here, and it was a lot briefer than sample sizes with Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo, yes, but it's kind of tough to blame the guy. And I guess part of it, you could say, is misfortune because the Yankees just don't really have a place for him at the moment, but it's really tough for me to say that that's all it is. When I look at an Aaron Hicks or a Joey Gallo. I don't know. So, I mean, if Miguel Andujar were to be traded to another team, like if you look across the field this weekend at this Tigers team, I mean, if Miguel Andujar got traded over there, he would definitely get a chance. And it sucks because he probably wants to be a Yankee, probably wants to stay here. But there are other people, deserving or not, <laughs> who are getting more opportunities than him right now whether I agree with it or not. And there's really just no room for him because of that. So I feel bad for him. But, um, but I mean, we'll see what happens. Apparently, this isn't the first time that he's requested a trade. And he's still here, so we'll see. But that was, a lot of people were talking about that yesterday. And, uh, and he's worked hard to get back. He has, so... It's unfortunate, but if he gets traded, I, I hope he succeeds elsewhere. I, I don't have any problems with Miguel Andujar. I don't have any problems with anybody as a person on the on these teams. No matter how hard I am on Aaron Hicks or Joey Gallo, as long as they're Yankees, I'm going to be rooting for them to do well. They play for my team, for God's sakes, and I don't have a problem with them as people. It's just as players, these are people who drive me insane. <laughs> That's all. And when that does happen, it is tough to hear about guys like Andujar being so down that they are not getting more consistent opportunities with the big club. So we'll see what comes of it. The Yankees did also sign utility man Jake Bowers from the Reds for cash considerations, so definitely just a depth move. We'll see if it goes anywhere, and you always have to preface that with we'll see if it goes anywhere because sometimes (laughs) the Yankees utility guys, they definitely lead somewhere. (laughs) Every year you feel like there's that one guy and this right now it kind of feels like that guy is Matt Carpenter at the moment because he's done so great still. 
but I mean, it just seems like that's a frequent thing with the Yankees. So who the hell knows? Even though Jake Bowers hasn't had much of a career to speak of, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And the Yankees also optioned David McKay back down to AAA when Donaldson came back on Friday. So that's really all the roster news and general news that the Yankees did this past week amongst getting back up on the horse. Now, speaking of getting back up on the horse this past week, we're going to recap what's happened in this past week, going all the way back to last Sunday when the series in Tampa didn't necessarily end well. But then, of course, after that, that's when everything started to turn around well for the Yankees yet again. For the remainder of the week, leading all the way up to today, heading into the off day tomorrow. And then after we recap this past week, we will also do this week's social media question having to do with, and I hinted at it again before, so you may have guessed it, the starting rotation. And your view on it in the grand scheme of past Yankees starting rotations. But without further ado... Let's hop into that Yappin' Yankees time machine back to last Sunday and recap this past week's action. Let's go. Oh, by the way, guys, before I forget to mention, because this was something that I meant to mention in the intro, but I it completely slipped past me, but... Also, another amazing thing that happened this past week, and I guess this could be part of recap, even though it's not a game, but (laughs) still nonetheless, something awesome happened this past week. And let me just say, it had to do with social media, and I've never hit follow on someone's profile so quickly in my entire life. (laughs) But something happened that nobody ever thought that they would see. And this something is that Derek Jeter, who many of you know is not only my favorite Yankee or baseball player even of all time, but just is my favorite athlete of all time and a big-time role model of mine for about a decade and a half now. (laughs) Derek Jeter got social media accounts. (laughs) This was like the highlight of my time on social media in history. I don't think I've ever, like I said, I don't think I've ever hit the follow button so quickly in my life. And even Jeter was putting out videos and tweets, both, he was putting out tweets and videos on Twitter and videos on Instagram. I didn't find out that he got Instagram too until later. I saw his Twitter first. But even he was saying this was something that I never thought would happen and... You know, here we go, here goes nothing. He's taken it as an opportunity to post about his life, the Turn 2 Foundation. It's just awesome. (laughs) I'm so happy that my captain, my role model, is on social media. (laughs) One of the things I always wished for, since I got on the Twitter and then later Instagram game a few years ago, was... To see Derek Jeter on social media, because one of the first things I found out when I got on was that he didn't have any. And of course, we know how private Jeter keeps his life and everything, and that's so respectable. But selfishly, as a huge fan of his, and someone who's on Twitter all the time, and just trying to keep a strong presence on social media, I cannot tell you how happy I am that Derek Jeter is on social media. Not just Twitter, but on social media overall. I'm so happy freaking happy. 
So I just thought I'd mention that because it's pretty big news that Derek Jeter's on social media. So I'm thrilled about that. But otherwise, on to the recap. Back to last Sunday. If you recall, it was the last game in Tampa. The Yankees were looking to take the series best three out of four. Unfortunately, they could not. The game started out well, though, in the top of the second inning. Glaber Torres started things out with a solo shot, his ninth of the year, tying his total for all of 2021 at the end of May at the time for this year. <laughs> That's insane. Unfortunately, right away, Luis Severino, who started the game, would allow the Rays to immediately retie the game with a solo shot by G-Man Choi in the bottom half of the inning. In the bottom of the fifth... If you remember during last week's recap, Future Me made a cameo again while I was editing because the game had ended by then. But the guy who I had talked a lot of crap about, and rightfully so because he hadn't done anything, well, on the bottom of the fifth, he did something. <laughs> In the bottom of the fifth, Taylor Walls, of all people for Severino to give up a home run to, gave up a solo shot to him to give the Rays a 2-1 to lead. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Luis Severino will have exited by the time these runs came home. But since the runners were left on base by him, these next two runs, which would be the ultimate runs to eventually win the game, would be charged to him. But Ron Marinaccio came in to a big jam that Luis Severino left behind in the bottom of the seventh. And Ron Marinaccio walked in a run and then hit Zanino with a pitch to drive in another run. Just a really bad spot for Marinaccio. So that gave the Rays a 4-1 to lead, and then other than another judge home run, his 18th of the season in the top of the 8th to make it 4-2, to that's all the Yankees would have on the afternoon, and they would lose by that score 4-2. to Severino would unfortunately take the loss. It was just a frustrating game. It was. You kind of had the feeling the Yankees weren't going to win it, but it was, it was just frustrating nonetheless. Monday was an off day. Tuesday comes around. Angels come to town. Everybody's talking about, oh, finally a good team for the Yankees to face. I'm so tired of hearing about that. (laughs) People claiming the Yankees haven't played any good teams. Well, first of all, they have. They have taken very good care of the Blue Jays. They did a pretty good job in Tampa, but they'll obviously be playing them a lot more. It was only the first series against them. But they handled them mainly well for the most part. And they also happened to beat, if you remember, they happened to sweep a Guardians team at Yankee Stadium that came in with a killer run differential at the time. They were doing very well offensively, and Yankee pitching just totally shut them down. So the Yankees have had their share of matches against good teams, but have you also ever considered that the Yankees are just better than every team in baseball, too? A lot of people forget They have the best record in baseball, but even though they haven't had many games against teams over 500, they still have a good record against teams over 500. I believe they're 11 and 5 or something like that at this point, which is plenty fine. Don't tell the people who say they don't face any good teams that. Don't tell them that. They don't want to hear that. But again, I mean, the rant that I've been on a million times, what are you supposed to do against the bad ones? Lose? You have to win those games. That's why I never understand the people saying, oh, they only beat bad teams. What do you want them to do, lose against them? It's just so nonsensical. I'm so tired of hearing people say, oh, they haven't played a good team yet. And people were saying that about the Angels. I think the Angels were only about five games over 500 coming into this series. Of course, they were riding a huge losing streak, an even bigger one now that's still going today. They're facing the Phillies in their last game. In Philadelphia, in their series over there, I think the Angels have lost 10 in a row at this point. 
I mean, it's crazy. The Angels aren't even that good, yet people are playing them up. I get that Taylor Ward was playing out of his mind before the series. I get that they have Otani and Trout, both terrific players. I get it. But they were only five games over 500, and now, since they're on the long losing streak, everyone was like, oh, now they don't really count as a good team, so the Yankees still have it. I'm just so tired of people and their crap. (laughs) In case you can't tell. But anyways, let's keep moving along, because we know just not to listen to people's BS when it is just that BS. But Tuesday's game was a lot of fun. Montgomery took the mound against Noah Syndergaard, former Met. And you wouldn't believe which one had the good start and which one had the bad start. But Montgomery was the one with the good one. You would think, of course, because of how people remember Syndergaard, hey, he must have at least held his own. Nah, he didn't. <laughs> He only went two and a third, allowing five runs. So Montgomery was the one to have a great start against that lineup even. Seven innings, only four hits allowed, one run, four strikeouts, lowered his ERA to 304, which is what it was heading into today's game, but now it's lowered to 302. So he did a fantastic job. Miguel Castro pitched a scoreless eighth after him, and David McKay finished it off in the ninth, when the Yankees had their 9-1 to lead, obviously. And scoring-wise, well, the Yankees had themselves a field day. Bottom of the first, RBI double by Anthony Rizzo to open up the scoring, one to nothing. Then Glaber Torres got an RBI double, made it 2 to nothing. And then Matt Carpenter, who, like I said before, as a utility man, has done such a fantastic job, hit a bomb in Tampa, hit another bomb here. So in the bottom of the first inning, it was 4 to nothing after a Matt Carpenter two-run shot with Miguel Andujar on base coming home to score as well. Bottom of the second, they kept going. DJ LeMahieu, RBI double. And then things went quiet for a while. It was 5 nothing Yankees for a few innings. But then in the bottom of the sixth, they started up all over again. On a fielder's choice, DJ drove home another run to make it 6 to nothing. Aaron Judge sack fly 7 nothing. Top of the seventh to start the inning. Montgomery would give up the only run that he gave up in the entire start on a solo shot to Luis Renjifo. That made it 7-1. And then in the bottom of the eighth, because why the hell not, our king, who we have come to love for weeks. I'm pretty sure I was shouting out love for him before anybody. But anyways, our king, our true catcher, my catcher, Jose Trevino, with a two-run shot in the bottom of the eighth to make it 9-1, to and that would be the final. The Yankees would open up the series in murderous fashion. <laughs> Wednesday, the weather was crap. Yankees got rained out. So they would play a day-night doubleheader on Thursday, which was looking doubtful at first because we were looking at the weather radar, and we were seeing that at least at night, it was looking like it was going to rain in New York again. So we were like, what the hell is going to happen over here? But they actually got both games in. Even though there was a long-ass rain delay in the ninth inning of Game 1 when the Yankees were already up 6-1 to one, and everybody, including myself, was like, why don't they just call this freaking game, man? It's 6-1 to one in the ninth. It's obviously an official game, but, I mean, hey, they wanted to come back and play it, and they did and finish it off anyway. But in the day portion, in Game 1, it was Nestor Cortez against Shohei Otani. Hell of a matchup, right? Well... It wouldn't be as impressive as you'd think because it would seem to me that Shohei Otani, like we saw him last year at Yankee Stadium and he struggled like crazy, he just can't seem to pitch in Yankee Stadium. (laughs) 
It's easy to see now why he wanted nothing to do with the Yankees or just the East Coast. He didn't want to come here. Maybe because he can't handle it here. (laughs) So things got started right away. Bottom of the first, Matt Carpenter again. A solo shot to right field right away to start the game after I believe it was an 11 pitch at bat against Otani. Yeah, 11 pitches. Unbelievable at bat. Crazy battle between the two ultimately resulting in a solo shot after all of it. A shot into the second deck. Love that. And then, a little while after that, still in the bottom of the first, Glaber Torres also hit a solo shot. Bottom of the third, Aaron Judge solo shot. 19th of the year. 3 to nothing Yankees. Bottom of the fourth, Otani was out of the game by now, but this run was charged to him because Aaron Hicks was put on base from Otani. RBI double by Marwin Gonzalez made it 4 to nothing. Goodbye, Otani. Another terrible start at Yankee Stadium. Just three innings and four earned runs allowed. Get out of here. Bottom of the fifth, they kept on going. DJ LeMayhew with his fourth home run of the year on a solo shot to left field made it 5 to nothing. Miguel Andujar, sack fly, made it 6 to nothing. And then in the top of the eighth, Renhifo again. Off of Clark Schmidt, the only run given up on the day that's totally fine. On an RBI single, that made it 6-1. to one. Obviously, the long rain delay happened after that. They played the top of the ninth, and Wandy Peralta finished off the game, and the Yankees would win 6-1 to one and look to the night portion to try to sweep the doubleheader and, since they won game one, even sweep the series. And they would do exactly that. And remember before when I was talking about Tyone and Garrett Cole going back-to-back, taking perfect games into the later part of the game? Well, that's exactly what happened on Thursday night when I mentioned Tyone did it first. Tyone took the mound in Game 2, and what a phenomenal job he did. He took a perfect game into the 8th inning, and unfortunately it was broken up in that 8th inning to start off the inning on a double by Jared Walsh. And everybody, rightfully so, gave Tyone a huge, deserved round of applause because he did a terrific job. And unfortunately, later on in the inning, Kurt Suzuki would drive in a run even off of Tyone to make it one to nothing. And the Yankee offense all night long, while Tyone was doing his thing, was totally and utterly dead. Which was making me livid because this guy was out there pitching his heart out. Probably the best start of his life. Taking a perfect game in the 8th inning. Especially after everything Tyone's been through. And what he's done since he came here in remarkable fashion. And this offense was just leaving him out there to dry. It was driving me insane. So he gave up the one run. And I was like, oh Tyone, it's not at all your fault, my guy. Your team is just leaving you out there all by yourself. So I was more livid with the offense than anything. But the bottom of the 8th comes around. Bases ended up getting loaded from the Yankees with one out. And this was the moment where I really just looked at my mom who was watching the game with me. I looked at her, and after this happened, Joey Gallo came to the plate. He struck out with the bases loaded and one out in a huge moment. That was when I looked at my mom, and after all the patience I've had with Joey Gallo and rooting for him all this time, despite how hard I've been on him, I looked at her and I said, yeah, I'm done. I'm over him. Sorry. I'm just over him. This was really the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I know a lot of people might be saying, oh, get the small violin out. Yankee fan who's going through great times complaining about one player. Yeah, You could say that all you want. You could still give your valid and fair criticisms of a player regardless of what the rest of the team is doing. And the fact of the matter is, just look at Joey Gallo's stats, like I said. He did what he did today. Good for him. 
played a big part in the win. I'm happy for him. But my criticisms of him have not been overkill. They've been very fair according to what he's done or hasn't done as a Yankee for the last year or so. He now has over 100 games as a Yankee under his belt. And look at what he has done or hasn't done. So this was really the moment. After that key strikeout, in that huge moment, I honestly just looked at my mom and I said, I- I'm-, I'm done. It doesn't mean I won't root for him as long as he's here, because as long as you're on my team, I want you to succeed, because I want my team to succeed. Duh. But I'm just over it. I'm over it. So, whatever. Anthony Rizzo came up after him, and this was the highlight of the game. The stadium almost burned down after this in excitement. But Anthony Rizzo, in that huge moment, comes to the plate and hits a dribbler back up the middle for a base hit, go-ahead, two-run single, after the offense had been dead all night long, puts the Yankees ahead 2-1 to one in incredible fashion. And that's why, listen, my boy Rizzo, he may have been struggling his ass off for the last month or so, I'll be the first to admit it, as a huge Rizzo supporter. I tell it like it is whether I am a huge supporter of one person over the over another or not. I don't care. I tell it like it is in valid and fair fashion. And Rizzo has been struggling his ass off at the plate. But the difference between him and others is that when it matters, my boy comes through. Like he did in this game. Like he does so often. And that's just the fact. That's the fact, Jack. Top of the ninth, Clay Holmes came into the game to try to close it out. Gave us all a humongous heart attack by loading the bases, but eventually he would get the job done. I guess he had a little bit of a role as Chapman surging in him, but he still got the job done for his seventh save on the year. His ERA was driven down to .35. Oh, God. Woo! That is incredible, .35, amongst the nastiest stuff of any reliever in baseball, of course, and that would clinch a 2-1 to victory for the Yankees, secure the doubleheader sweep, secure the series sweep, third win in a row, and now, on Friday, the Yankees welcomed Detroit into town, the Tigers, who they just finished with earlier today, with an 11:30 game on Peacock, and I'm not going to go over today's game again because I did a... Pretty thorough recap of it back in the intro, so I'm not going to waste your time. We'll just talk about yesterday and Friday. But Friday's game, my God, was it fun. And remember the two nights in a row, Tyone and Cole taking perfect games? This was night number two. Have you ever seen this happen? Two nights in a row. Guys taking perfect games into the, to the eighth inning and then the seventh inning, respectively. Unbelievable. Cole did it six and a third innings in, and Tyone took it for seven. Late into the game. And not to mention, not only have the starters allowed little to nothing, in this stretch of like the last 11 starts or so, I believe the Yankees have allowed 16 runs. I saw someone tweet this. That's like the lowest amount of runs in that window of time in like, in in history of the franchise, I think. That's insane. Not only are they allowing little to nothing runs-wise, but every starter is going deep into the games, which helps preserve the bullpen too. And the bullpen, with some of their occasional struggles here and there, I think they could use the rest. 
I think the starters are like having a competition. They see someone go deep into the game, be like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing or better the next day. I love that kind of competition. Love it. And they're all going deep into the games. So Cole, so, like, here's an example of it. Tyone took a perfect game into the eighth. Cole was like, oh, I'm going to take one in the seventh. It's great. So Cole, seven innings, two hits, no runs, so seven shutout innings, and nine strikeouts, driving his ERA down to 278. Everyone's ERA is just in the twos, except for Montgomery, which is nearly in the twos. He's at 302. <laughs> Incredible. And then Manny Banuelos would come in after him, his first time appearing in a big league game since 2019. And he would pitch two shutout innings at the end of the game. Very nice stuff by him. But aside from Cole flirting with a perfect game into the seventh inning, the main story of the night were the Yankee bats. They just went nuts. Bottom of the third, started things off, and they just didn't look back. 13 runs as they won 13 to nothing, so 13 unanswered runs. Bottom of the third, Trevino started things off. King Trevino, as I've come to call him. Solo shot to left field, made it one to nothing. Shortly after him, in that bottom of the third, Aaron Judge solo shot himself, his 20th of the year, in the beginning of June. (laughs) And then in the bottom of the fourth, again, two-run triple for King Trevino. Triple! From a catcher. That's right. And then, even, this is when you know things are going well, Aaron Hicks even added on a run with an RBI single of his own, but he tried to stretch it into a double and got thrown out at second because even these days, it seems, when Aaron Hicks tries to do something good, and he does, that even has to have some sort of a bad ending to it. (laughs) Bottom of the fifth, Anthony Rizzo, my freaking boy. Again, part of what looks like another time of heating up for Rizzo. Looks like he's starting to come back a bit with the bat. Three-run Nuke into the bleachers in right center, made it eight to nothing. Matt Carpenter again with his fourth home run of the year already so far with the Yankees and only like the week or two he's been here. That made it ten to nothing, a two-run shot. DJ LeMayhew, two-run single, made it twelve to nothing. And then in the bottom of the eighth, just to add on, because again, why the hell not? Aaron Judge, RBI single, made it thirteen nothing. And that was your final. And last but not least for recapping this past week, Saturday, yesterday, Luis Severino took the hill after having an iffy start in Tampa. Most of the start was fine as we know, but then at the end he just started to run out of gas a bit and obviously gave up a home run to Taylor freaking Walls. So (laughs) looking to bounce back against the Tigers here and boy, did he ever. Driving his ERA down to 295 after a seven shutout inning start, only allowing one hit The one hit the Tigers would get the entire day, and that was definitely, like I said before, in my opinion, an error on Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Do not consider that a hit. So Severino could have very well taken a no-hitter himself into the end of the game. Who knows? But of course, we don't live in that universe right now. So seven shutout innings of one-hit baseball with 10 strikeouts. And I just got to say, Luis Severino... Again, I can't say it enough. He hasn't started a game since 2019, guys. And he hasn't had a full season's worth of starting games since 2018. My guy got Tommy John surgery. Had a setback on his way back from Tommy John surgery. Missed years of pitching. Multiple years. Hasn't started in three years. 
and he's had his hiccups here and there. I mean, they're to be expected after all the time missed and getting back into the swing of things. But what Severino has done in the early part of the season, right now, after everything he's been through, Tommy John, injury setbacks afterwards, building back up, even coming back and looking terrific as a reliever in the pen at the end of last season. It's remarkable. I don't know how many people are willing to admit how rare it is what we're seeing right now for Luis Severino to have so many shades of his old self after everything he's been through. I know he's still young, but it's so rare for that to happen for pitchers. Usually when it does happen, it usually happens to the greats. And I'm just so impressed with what Luis Severino has done so far. I've got to give him a huge amount of credit, and he is really playing in nicely to the rest of the God Mode stature of the rest of the rotation. He's doing a terrific job. So a beautiful start. And Michael King and Clay Holmes would pitch the 8th and ninth, respectively. To finish things off, Clay Holmes would earn his 8th save on the season already. And the Yankees' offense, it didn't do much, but it did enough to win. Because Luis Severino, Clay Holmes, and Michael King kept the Tigers' bats down. So all they had to do was score three runs. And they got those three runs on a solo shot by Judge in the bottom of the first. is 21st of the freaking season. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Boy, his gamble on himself, I think it's safe to say it is paying the hell off. <laughs> bottom of the sixth, Anthony Rizzo with another solo shot. His 13th on the year. A bomb to right field yet again. Two to nothing. And then bottom of the eighth. Newly reactivated Josh Donaldson. Sack fly to center field, drove in the third run, and the Yankees would win 3 to nothing. We recapped today's game already, of course. So, since we spoke last weekend, they have the one loss in Tampa. But other than that, they have not lost since. Yet again. So, in a lot of ways, the resilient offense has re-entered God mode. The team overall has entered God mode. But especially the rotation, which has led the way. All of it is God mode. Hence the title of today's episode. What's ahead for the next week? You might ask. Well, I will tell you. Tomorrow, off day for the Yankees. And considering the fact that they haven't had many of those at all in the last month, month and a half or so, I have to imagine they very much welcome those. Even though they probably want to just keep it rolling if they're in a good way, which I have to imagine they do right now because they are in a good way again like they have been for 97% of the season. But... Whatever. Rest is good, too. They're going to Minnesota, though, for Tuesday. Starting a three-game set in Minnesota. The first game on Tuesday night, the 7th, will be at 7.40 p.m. Eastern with Tyone taking the mound. Wednesday, June 8th, Nestor Cortez will be facing off against Chris Archer, another 7.40 p.m. Eastern game. Yankees and Twins again. And Thursday, the final of the three, also at 7.40, so all three games at 7.40. Garrett Cole against Dylan Bundy. And then next weekend, the Yankees come right back home. Just a quick little road trip to Minnesota. And they will host the Chicago Cubs. First game on Friday, 7.05 p.m. Eastern. Saturday, the second game, will be at 7.15 Eastern. And Sunday, when we speak again on the 12th, will be at 1.35 Eastern Standard Time. Third and final game against the Cubs before they have off again next Monday the 13th. Now, 
as we head towards the end of the show, we have but one more thing to do, my friends. And that is this week's social media segment. I got a question for you this week. No poll, no Q&A. I got the question for you. It's your time to answer me. (laughs) And like I've been hinting at all episode long, and again, I did not put this on Instagram, by the way. I've been slacking on Instagram. I'm just thinking of just putting it on Twitter from now on. But I'll, I'll keep you posted on that, my plans for that, I guess. My forgetfulness has just made me start even thinking about just an overall change of plans for the segment. <laughs> so, but this one was only on Twitter. I do let my bunch of Instagram people know about it, that I just forgot Instagram, and they'll either text message me personally, or they will just go over to Twitter, because most of them have Twitter as well. But I had a question for you this time around, guys. And the question obviously because of how great it's been, is of course about the pitching rotation. The question is, even though it still may only be two months into the season, have you seen a Yankees starting rotation that has performed at the level of this one in your time as a Yankee fan? In your lifetime as a Yankee fan, have you seen a rotation dominate like this one has so far into the month of June in 2022? I already answered this question with my opinion before. I know that there have been great Yankee rotations in the last 25 to 30 years, especially if you even go back to the 70s as well, and of course, even before that. I obviously don't go back that far. I go back to the end of 2007 in my time as a Yankee fan, 1997 as my life, because that's when I was born, but I didn't become a fan until around 2007, so about 15 years, give or take. Since then, like I said before, this is the best Yankees rotation I have ever had the pleasure of watching. Now, a lot of other people, they may even go back as far as maybe the 1970s. A lot of people go back to the 90s. And of course, those teams had fantastic rotations back in the 90s. If you think about David Cohn, Pettit, El Duque, Wells, even Doc Gooden was there. You can keep on running down the names as much as you want. Even the teams with Mike Messina on it. Roger Clemens. You keep on running down the great pitcher names all that you want in the last 25 years or so of Yankee history. But in my time, it's the best I have seen. Let's hear what you have to say. I'm going to read just maybe like the first 10 I see. And then we're going to put a bow on this nice, fun episode, guys, as I'm in a good mood today. Because you best believe that any version of myself who jumps in front of the microphone right after any sort of Yankee victory is going to be in a good mood. (laughs) Or at least better than usual. But anyways, let's hear what you guys have to say about it. First up, we've got at RJB5150. And they say, not like this. Even I, who said all offseason that their pitching was fine, would never have imagined this. Absolutely, man. This is just on another level. It really, really is. Up next, we have at Del Space Franco. And they say, as an older Yankee fan... (laughs) I even did the sound effect for you. I hope you appreciate that. (laughs) There were rotations that were as good, if not better. Point taken, though. This staff looks really solid. Well, how far back do you go? Well, I I know you probably don't want to age yourself. But, yeah, like I said, in the last 40, 50 years, there have been great rotations. But, yeah, regardless, even if you do remember one that matched this or maybe was even a little better, which is very, very hard to accomplish statistically and factually, this rotation, you have to admit, is just terrific. At Javi N114 says, no, I have not. 
I, I imagine a lot of people would answer that. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Hi, Mike. I don't think I've ever seen a full rotation this dominant ever. The 1998 Yankees were amazing, but there's something just different about this team. The pitchers push each other to be better. They're fun to watch. Yeah, like I said, they have like the competitive balance about them. Like they see someone go eight innings or even carry a perfect game into the eighth like Tyone did. And what did Garrett Cole do the very next night? He took a perfect game into the seventh. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, they, they see someone go eight innings, they want to go eight innings or maybe even more. And not only, like I said, are they allowing nothing, but they're going so deep into the game, which also helps preserve the bullpen. It's just iconic what they've done. And 1998, yeah, listen, I ran down all those pitcher names, and there were amazing, amazing pitchers, especially in the late 90s into the early 2000s, no doubt about it. But you even said it, and like I emphasized, when I asked this question, think from top to bottom, because a lot of rotations, they have a, you know, a really good one-two punch, or the first three will be good. This is all five of them. <laughs> this is just abuse for the opposition. It's all five starters. Again, the worst ERA is 3.02. 3.02. So it's a tough question. Even if you remember great rotations, you got to think to yourself, one through five, all of them. That's the thought. My friend Laura at Laura underscore Icemont says, Honestly, no. I was only two or three back in 1998, so I wasn't watching baseball then. But this is the best I've seen. Yeah. Listen, in, in, in 1998, I was one. <laughs> I was born in January of 97. So throughout the 98 season and towards the end, I was almost two. I was about to turn two. But I was not nearly old enough to even understand what was going on, let alone be a Yankee fan. But... Yeah, in my lifetime, and my time as a Yankee fan, definitely. In my lifetime, it could rival with the late 90s, but in my time as a Yankee fan from, like, mid to late 2007 to now, no. Nah, there's nothing. Rotations with an iconic ace, or one two punch, or one through three, like I said, sure. But one through five. And as dominant as this, no. Up next is at NYY Sports Fan 96, and they say, not like this. Agreed. Gotta agree. Let's keep going. I'm really sorry I'm not gonna be able to get to nearly all of you. There were so many replies, as always, but I'm just gonna read like 10 to 15 of them, and then I'm gonna end here. Up next, we have Spencer, my friend Spencer, at Musician DMD, and Spencer says, no, it's not just the New York Yankees. Rare is the team with three or more dominating pitchers, like Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz with Atlanta in 96, Mulder, Hudson, and Zito with Oakland in 2001. Those come to mind. The best string I've witnessed, Roger Clemens, Mike Messina, and Pettit in 2001. That trio was formidable, but they never pitched dominantly for an extended period as a unit. Clemens went into September of 01 with just one loss. The current rotation is more impressive. It's rare what we're seeing with all five. We may never see this collection of dominance in the rotation again. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, throughout the era of the late 90s into the early 2000s, you could think of tandems with maybe just one really good guy or one two-punch or the first three being great. And the Yankees definitely had those in that era of baseball, like you said. But you just got to think one to five is just... Again, like, like I said, they're just in a league of their own. It's just a different level entirely. So I agree with you, Spencer. 
Rob at Laker 477 says, I'm old enough to have seen the starting rotations of the late 70s, which are on par with this year's staff. However, hands down, the best pitching staff I have had the privilege to watch was the 1998 staff. Well, fair enough. A lot of the names I've mentioned throughout this segment, yeah. But yeah, this rotation is definitely still at least on par with those, without a doubt. At Yankee Ken says, I can't remember a time the Yankees had pitching like this, and I've seen strong Yankee rotations in the past. These guys are on a completely different level. I'm loving the seven to eight inning starts. Yeah, absolutely. They're given length, like I said. That's not only great for the starting rotation and just adds on to how great they are, but it also helps the bullpen out. It ensures that the arms out there won't be blown out either. It's just so important. It all works together. At Mike B underscore 923 says 2001 Yankees with Clemens, Moose, Andy, and El Duque. Yeah, listen, like I said, even into the early 2000s, great rotations. But again, that was four. It's all five. (laughs) That's the thing. It's just crazy. Absolutely insane. At MD Bergman 36 says... If one looks at ERA and FIP, in other words, the Yankees starters work on those metrics relative to the league, not absolute values. If the rotation somehow maintained the current rates, they would literally rank as the best in club history. Yeah, exactly. And for those who don't know what FIP is, by the way, it's fielding independent pitching. And it's very similar to ERA, but it focuses more on things that pitchers have control over, like strikeouts and hit by pitches and home runs rather than fielding mistakes and things like that. But that's what that is for those who don't know. But yeah, absolutely. If they continue on this trend and what they've already done is fantastic. It's it's just unbelievable. At Carib Saint says, I can't say I have, and I've seen plenty of rotations. As a rotation just top to bottom? No, I haven't seen anything like this. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable when you think about it. At Justin Grice 1 says, It's still very early in the season, but no, the Yankees have not had a full five be this good. Messina, Clemens, and Pettit were close, but never all five like this. Yeah, it's decently into the season. We're a couple of months in and a handful of weeks away from being halfway through. It's not the first couple of weeks, you know? (laughs) But yeah, it's still a little early. But like you said too, yeah, the full five, that's the thing. It's unreal. At Twitch, Ymo says, not all five starters being this good at the same time. No, this is approaching historic at this point. <laughs> yeah, especially if they keep it up. Absolutely. At Linda Lerun says, been watching Yankees since the days of Mantle and Maris. Wow. And have never seen this kind of starting pitching by Yankees pitchers in my lifetime. Uh, that's something. These are the kind of fans I truly want to hear from. I want to hear from all of you, but... These are the ones who've been watching for the better part of the last 55 to 65 or so years. Yeah, that is, wow. <laughs> That's a statement and a half. At NYFanNCT says, if Monty pitches well tomorrow, and again, these things are released on Saturday, so they meant today, and gets his ERA below three, he almost did 302. <laughs> I wonder if the Yankees have ever had five qualified starters all under three with ERA at the same time before. I have to look at that. That's interesting. But yeah, he got it down to 302. So close. So close. But yeah, at this point in June, I'm, I'm not sure. It really is unbelievable. 
At MD Justo1515 says, I've been following this team since 1976, and I don't recall such dominance from all five starters in any other season. It's crazy. <laughs> At Al Ruggiero7 says, Pettit, Cohn, Clemens, El Duque were a strong bunch. These guys remind me of them. Really impressed, and I was very skeptical going into the season. Yeah, I thought they could have used another starter or so. Because there were a lot of risks going in, like Seve coming back for the first time, starting a game at all in three years. Obviously not knowing what Tyone was was going to do, not knowing if Nestor could continue what we saw for most of 2021. So there were some questions. Some questions. And my God, has it turned out to be, I think it's safe to say, the best possible outcome. I mean, come on. What else are you going to ask for? At Real Mikey D 50 says the closest must be 2003 of Clemens, Pettit, Messina, and Wells, and 1998 of Cone, Wells, Pettit, and El Duque, but those are four deep, not five like this year. Not definitely, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, let's just do a couple more. Let's see here. At Sid Jim 14 says the closest, 98, Cone, Wells, Pettit, and El Duque. Yeah, that's fair. That is definitely fair. Let's see. At Arlen Jackson 1 says the pitching in the 1990s, like Wells, Cone, Clemens, Pettit, Orlando Hernandez, or El Duque, Mike Messina, how can you beat that? There's two perfect games with Wells and Cone combined and four championships. Yeah, I mean, but all in one year, that's the point. I mean, yeah, those, listen, those staffs had remarkable accomplishments let alone the titles. I mean, nobody's arguing that. But such dominance from all five in one season. And granted, we're still in June, but I mean, ugh, God. All right, let's squeeze one more in here, and then we'll do the usual final two in My Girlfriend and My Mom. The last one before those two, though, is at ProPublic66. And they say, this is the best sustained stretch of starting pitching I've seen since the 1970s. Wow, you go back that far. This, this is impressive. A lot of people who go around back that far, even maybe even further than that with that Mantle and Maris reply too, they're saying so. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. All right, second to last, my girlfriend Vic Salimo, and she says, in my time as a Yankee fan, I have never personally seen a better starting rotation from top to bottom than the one we have now. It's so exciting and fun. This rotation is solid, and I love it. Yeah. Yes, it's it's hard to fathom what we've seen from top to bottom, one through five. And it's tough to, to guess who one through five is right now because all of them are pitching ace status. That's the amazing part. <sighs> it's just so great. It's so great. Even if you had high expectations for the pitching coming into this season, you never could have predicted it being on this scale. Never. Unbelievable. All right, last but not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, I have to say I've never seen any rotation on the Yankees as amazing as this one right now in my lifetime as a Yankee fan. We have five amazing starting pitchers, all five, but by far, Nestor Cortez is ridiculously murderous. He's magic, loving this, long-awaited. <laughs> Cortez is just... Uh... Yapping Yankees, this show has almost become just a fanboying session for Nestor Cortez in the last few weeks, just throughout this whole season, and even for a chunk of last year when he was doing great last year. It's just crazy what he's done, ridiculously murderous, that's a great way to put it.
And you think about where Nestor Cortez came from, just the epitome of a fairy tale story in baseball. A 36th round pick by the Yankees. Let go and got brought back to them as a Rule 5 pick in Baltimore and then traded to Seattle, got released, came back to New York again. It's, it's a fairy tale story. It's the epitome of like the American dream. It really is. Nobody really thought he'd be much. Yankees let him go twice. And he found his way back here. Went to two separate teams. Went to Baltimore for about two minutes and then went to Seattle. I remember him pitching for the Mariners. Came back again. And now it's being spoken about as him having one of the better pitching seasons anyone has seen in a long time. And maybe even starting the All-Star game. Or at least being put into the discussion to do so. When you look at Nestor Cortez's life and his path to get to where he's gotten today, it's that much more surreal. And it makes his story that much better than it already is. As he continues to just leave us more and more speechless with every time he takes the mound. And yeah, with the pitching, it is long-awaited. They've had to go through their struggles with the pitching the last few years. They definitely have. It's been a rough time, but all five, like you said, it's surreal what we've watched. It really is. But guys, I thank you for all of your social media replies, whether I got to you or not. Just keep on replying week by week. I'm going to get to you eventually, I promise. I usually get to everybody eventually. (laughs) But whether I got to you or not, you know I, to the ends of the earth, Appreciate all of your interactions with Yapping Yankees. Always, guys. Always. But nonetheless, for now, that is all for episode 142 of Yapping Yankees today, my friends. Please remember to follow me on all social medias Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY, Twitter at Mike Scudero, Instagram, Mike Scuds. 97. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube. Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all the platforms. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a review on all the others. And if you have the time, if you missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, and there are a great many of them as we head towards episode 150, then please be sure to listen to them. Episodes 34 up to episode 142 today are available on YouTube. And all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, going all the way back to episode one are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, June 12th, when I come at you with episode 143 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, Look out for your loved ones, and let's see the Yankees continue their winning ways into Minnesota. Let's see the starting rotation stay in God mode, as well as, well, just the rest of the team. (laughs) Let's keep the winning ways going, guys. And on a side note, also, let's go Rangers, for my fellow Ranger fans out there. (laughs) Have a good week, my friends. Talk to you next Sunday. Take care. (laughs) 